I'm Lindsay Hotmeyer, and welcome to Storyhouse. This is a podcast about growing your business, but it's also about slowing down the noise so you can give the world the best parts of who you are. So if you've struggled with all the buzz around storytelling only to feel like you don't have a story worth sharing, or if you're tired of being forced on the wheel of marketing that doesn't feel right, but also feels impossible to ignore, then be sure to meet me here every week to hear from real business owners as we dismantle all the should-dos and must-dos of business. Hear how they've wrestled through their own struggles and walk away with strategies that help you authentically and sustainably grow, scale, or pivot the business you've built. Daryl Vesterfeld is a visionary leader who builds and scales businesses. He's actively interested in the growth of the companies in his portfolio and the leaders of those companies. Daryl currently serves as the COO of School of Traditional Skills, a company he co-founded. Additionally, he co-founded Homestead Living, a publishing house focused on books and magazines for those interested in homesteading. He also founded Good People Digital in 2015, an agency specializing in equipping creator-led businesses and brands. He consults and provides executive coaching to a select group of other business leaders each year. Previously, Daryl served as the Director of Growth for ConvertKit, where his strategy took the company from 98,000 to 625,000 monthly recurring revenue in just over one year. Daryl lives in a quiet neighborhood in Stillwater, Minnesota. Thanks for being here today with me, Daryl. I always love just tuning in to what you have to say and just getting the chance to chat with you. So this is a real treat for me. So thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. One of the things that really intrigues me about you and always has is that when I think the word entrepreneur is thrown around a lot, people use it to describe themselves when that's not really, I think, what they are. But when I see you use it, I'm like, ah, that's what an entrepreneur is. And so I'm just curious if you can talk a little bit about that entrepreneurial journey, like just even tell me the origin of how you got here in the first place. Because for me, like I've dropped in at the point in your life where you've been doing this. And so it's a mystery to me as to how that all came about anyways. And you do it also that I'm intrigued as to what led you here. This is one of my favorite stories to tell. It's one that I'm really passionate about because I grew up in a very rural part of Michigan in an area called Mount Haley Township. And Mount Haley Township, the median income is about poverty line. So what entrepreneurship meant there was either a guy fixing cars in his garage or maybe somebody selling drugs or there wasn't a context for it. So I didn't even know entrepreneurship was a thing for a long time, even though now sitting in the perspective of a 37-year-old looking back, I was very entrepreneurial as a kid, even from a very young age. So it's been an interesting journey for me to try to figure it out because I didn't have the context of being an entrepreneur. I didn't have the context of Like nobody was pushing me in that direction. Where I came from, what it looked like to be successful was to either go to school or to get a trade and work a good job. And the on the quote entrepreneurs in that area were just people who maybe weren't making great money and weren't taken seriously. So I just had no context for it. But looking back as a child, every opportunity I had to enterprise something, I did it. (laughs) 
<laughs> whether it was like the neighborhood kids and starting a club, whether it was like starting a sports league in our neighborhood, whether it was trying to sell the vegetables that we grew in our garden, whether it was my dad giving me a chore that was based on performance and I would just work my butt off to make more or extra money. All of that existed in me just from a very young age. And there's just no context for it. The first time I ever had context for it, I was a junior in high school and there was an entrepreneurship class and I like, I ran to take it. But even there, it wasn't something that was encouraged. It was just an understanding of what business or entrepreneurship was. I just didn't know for a really long time. And I found my way through it. I just never fit a mold. I never could do the thing where I had to go work for somebody else because every time I would go work for somebody else, I would be the hardest worker there. And I would never be rewarded based on my effort and performance because it was like, it was a normal kind of democratic system where it was like, everybody gets paid this amount. And if you perform better, you maybe get a marginal raise. But I remember having jobs where I would come in and do a job. I'd get the whole job description done in two or three hours, and then they'd have to find more work for me, but I would get paid the same amount of money. So it just never, it never clicked in my mind. And so I just kept figuring it out, like going through different avenues to try to figure out what it looked like. And it looked like me being poor for about 10 years and trying to figure out like, how do I not feel trapped in the system, but how do I also make money doing something that fits who I am? And so it was about my mid twenties where I started seeing early twenties. I started seeing other people doing it. People like Brian Clark from copy blogger, people like Donald Miller, Storyline, Story Brand, people like Chris Gillibo. Chris Gillibo is actually one of the first people that really like where I could see it. And I'm like, oh, I want to do that. And Chris Gillibo, a PDF ebook called 279 Days to Overnight Success. And this is how long ago it was. I actually printed out that ebook, went to a coffee shop and read out a printed version of that ebook. And it was essentially, how do you make $100,000 as an online entrepreneur? And I was like, oh, I can see it. So it gave me a framework. And that's been it for me. It's like growing up, I had no line of sight into what it meant to be an entrepreneur. So I just kept exploring. As soon as I could see it, then I had a pathway. It's like, mm-hmm. I can go do that. And that's been the journey since seeing those kind of people build an entrepreneur journey is just watch, try to reverse engineer, try to emulate, try to create my own version of what they're doing. And I've done that several times in the last 10, 15 years. And now I'm here and it's beyond my full-time, my full-time focus. I have probably between all the companies that I'm a part of 30 to 40 employees, um, full-time with a whole handful of contractors associated to it. So it's like now become an entire ecosystem where my whole life is built around it. My family is built around it. My professional career is built around it. And and I love it. And the word entrepreneur is funny because it can mean so many things to so many people. It can mean Mark Cuban, and it can also mean the guy who's selling meth or fixing cars in his garage. So there's a (laughs) wide range of what it means. So it is a funky term, but that's a little bit of the journey. (laughs) So you are founder of Homestead Living. You published books, right? You're former head of growth at ConvertKit. You're founder of Bike Good People Digital. So yeah, yeah, you've got your hands in a ton of things. Yeah. And so how do you do that successfully? Like, how do you, how do you, how are you spinning so many things and doing it successfully? Number one, and 
Number two, those are the things that are thriving. I'm curious to know, have you tried things that have flopped in between these things? Yep. Two questions. Yeah, so a little bit of context. I have a holdings company called Mount Haley, and that is the township that I grew up in Michigan. I was born, I'll have to send you the picture, but I was born on a in a trailer house on a sand hill mm-hmm. in Mount Haley Township. So now my holdings company is called Mount Haley as an homage to where I came from. That holding company has partnership stakes in Good People Digital, an agency focused on working with creators. It has a holding in Homestead Living, which is a magazine and book publishing company, School of Traditional Skills, which is a masterclass style company for homesteading and traditional skills, things like cheese making and sourdough and gardening and all kinds of traditional skills there. And so my hand is in a lot of things. Those are the things that are like working well, but there have been, like you you alluded to, there have been things that just didn't work out well. At one point invested nearly six figures in a newsletter company that didn't work out. There have been different iterations of partnerships that didn't work out in different agencies or different ideas. But what I've learned over the last five to seven years of really digging into these companies is like I've learned to pick my spots a little bit better. I'm a huge NBA fan, which I'm a kind of a nerd about it. And LeBron James, my favorite player, he's 38 years old. He has been playing for 20 plus years. The way he plays the game as a 38 year old versus an 18 year old is a lot different, right? The game moves a little bit slower for him. He moves a little bit slower. He picks his spot. He doesn't feel like he has to force everything all the time. I've become good at learning how to pick my spots a little bit better. And the focus, there has to be a through line of focus to all of it. So at one point, two years ago, I had eight companies underneath my holdings company. There was I like managed IT solutions. There was publishing. There was a documentary. There were all kinds of, I mean, there's all kinds of things, two or three different agencies and different focuses. And it was too wide and too much. Uh, and there needed to be a through line. And so the through line for me now is creator-led businesses. It's something that I've done for a really long time. It's something I really understand. I understand how to build businesses around creators who have an audience. So Homestead Living, as an example, is I'm in partnership with a woman named Melissa Norris, uh, who's built a large audience around homesteading. With School of Traditional Skills, I partner with Josh and Carolyn Thomas from Homesteading Family, who built a large audience around homesteading. Good People Digital is focused on supporting creators who have courses or newsletters or membership groups and want to develop those even further. So all of that is a through line. It's like I'm doing four things, but I'm doing one thing four different ways. And so there has to be a focus. And Nathan Berry, the founder of ConvertKit, is a friend of mine, and I worked with him, with him and for him at ConvertKit, which you alluded to. He talks about the idea of building um, skyscrapers or strip malls. And the idea of having your focus on one thing, which he's done really well, having his focus on ConvertKit and building that to like an epic skyscraper is I started out as a strip mall where there was like eight to 10 stores. I've closed some of those stores because three or four of those stores have the same through line where what we do in one benefits what we do in all of the others, because there is one kind of focus and through line through the entire thing. The other thing I'll say is it just takes courage to build a team because you have to let go of things that you're good at for other people to do not quite as good as you do. And that's the key part of scaling is like being willing to let go of control, being patient while other people learn to do things as good as you would do them. 
and empower them to grow to be better than you are at them. And so that's been a huge learning curve for me is for so long, I've been the hardest worker everywhere I go, but I kept hitting the wall of what I could accomplish on my own. So I needed to bring in partners, team members, and build a team around me to support better growth. But what that took was the courage to let go. And it's really hard because there's several times where things didn't go the way that I would have done them, but they got done or they didn't get done or they failed. And so it's the part of that letting go is what it takes to build the team around building something bigger than yourself. Do you think that there's a, it's not going to be a fixed point for all entrepreneurs or even all business owners, but are there some signals where it's time to let go and bring somebody in? Because what I have seen sometimes is that people will hit the ground running and they'll look at somebody like you and they'll try to mold themselves after what you're doing now not realizing the journey that you took to get to that point. So at what point do you realize, okay, now it's time for me to let go so that I can start scaling? Yep. There's three ways that I think are, there's three indicators. Okay. So stalled, let's talk about stalled. Stalled is what happened to me is I kept having the same results year over year and I just couldn't get past that blocker. So for me, it was, I was making about the same amount of money every year for three years in a row. And I realized I can't work any harder to get where I want to go. The other one I see a lot with the people I work with is they start to sabotage. This looks like burnout. This looks like making decisions that kind of keep your business small. It looks like all kinds of things. It's also, this is a big mental game here with the sabotage is you don't realize you start doing it and you try to keep things small subconsciously. And this happens so many times. I see it happen where things are going well for somebody and then they make some sort of decision that is like shiny object syndrome and they sabotage by trying to do something new or they start having some sort of personal failure or they start working too hard or they there's a lot that kind of happens there and i think the burnout piece of it is really key if you, you are having the same results over and over again that's how burnout starts happening right is like you're doing the same thing over and over again getting the same results, you are setting goals, you have vision, you're not hitting it. So those are some of the points where for me it happened. And then I see it in other people happen too, is, you know, either you're stalled or you're starting to sabotage yourself. It's time to bring in a team. Now, that being said, like building a team is also not for everybody. There are several friends of mine who building a team is the exact wrong way to build their business. And what happens a lot is this comparison game, exactly what you alluded to, is, I, oh, I look at this person who's doing something cool and I want to do the same thing. When the reality is, I look at that person and I want how I think their life feels, not exactly what their life is. So right. I maybe perceive that they have freedom and I want that feel that freedom. Or I see that they might be making money and making money might feel like X, Y, or Z way. And so I try to replicate exactly what they're doing. I have friends who make more money than me when their companies earn less than my companies do. And that's the right call for them, right? They keep their expenses really low. Their margins are really high. They built a really great business for themselves. Right now they make more money than me, although my companies might earn 10 or 15 times more. And it's about building a business that's right for you and right for your life. So For me, it was building a team because I kept realizing I keep trying really hard. I keep, I keep having the same results. I was at 
X dollars of revenue. I wanted to be at 10 X that, but I just, there's nothing that I could do. And so I started to realize that I'd have to go backwards to go forwards, Mm -hmm. meaning I'd have to give some of my earnings away to other people to start building the team. I'd have to give equity away in my companies to bring in the right kind of talent around me. And it's taken time for me to two steps forward or two steps backwards for 10 steps forward. And it's really key, but um, it's also just not right for everybody because I have some friends that would be absolutely miserable in my position and I would be absolutely miserable in some of my friends' positions when it's just them by themselves building their business. It's totally based on what is right for you. And it may take two or three points of failure and going down the wrong pathway for you to figure out what might be right for you. Yeah. And I love that point of distinction because it is so true. And I've often looked at that. Like I put my anchor down for several years of I'm strictly a solopreneur. I don't want a team. I do not want to be responsible for putting bread on somebody else's table. It's stressful enough for me to just worry about myself. And so I've long anchored myself there until this year. And you talk about the stall being stalled or sabotage. And it was for me that point, there's something more for me and I'm the obstacle in my own way. And so I need to unfurl my fingers a little bit and let somebody in because what is out there for me? Where can I go if I just expand my world a little bit? And for me, it's not so much about revenue as what it is just opportunity to impact more people with the impact that I want to make. Because to your point, same, I have people who have built large teams, their revenues are maybe in the millions of dollars, but that owner is not bringing home much more than I am once you factor in everything that they're doing. So that that has always given me pause. What am I really chasing? What do I really want? And that's, that has to be a continual conversation going on in your mind as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, what is it that I'm really chasing? It's true. And there's not a right or wrong answer. And that's the absolute key. There's not a right or wrong answer. There is a right or wrong answer for you as an individual. And that's key. I do a lot of executive coaching and some of the people I coach to build a team and to hit their seven, eight figures revenue. And there are some people I coach to simplify and get smaller. And there is no right answer per se, except for you figuring out what makes you come alive. And I think you're exactly right. If my, there, again, I have a really close friend, one of my best friends, he has a team of one and a few contractors, and he's loving his life. Uh, I would be absolutely miserable doing that. And I have teams of 30 plus, and he would be absolutely miserable and terrified looking at the payroll number that I have to hit every other week. But I'm alive right now. Even though the stress is high, I'm alive. And those two things are not, uh, they don't go hand in hand. Like they're not, like the amount of stress you carry does not equate to eventual burnout to me. What equates to eventual burnout to me is you living different, your external life and your internal life being separated. So I'm not going to burn out in this high stress point because of high stress. I would be burnt out if my internal world and what was right for me was different than the external world that I was building. Right now, this stress is actually forming me. It's making me a better person, a better entrepreneur. That's what happens when you go to the gym is you put stress on your muscles and then you become stronger. What happens when you put stress on yourself and it's the wrong fit, then you hurt yourself or you injure yourself or you burn out. Yeah, so I love that. Me, because it, 
that feels so counterintuitive to a lot of the messaging yeah. that's out there, doesn't it? Like it that is pushing back against doing what's hard. And I'll hear that a lot. And I'll often bristle because like my husband has a very high stress job. The hours he works would, I would be six feet under right now if I yeah. replicated what he does. And so when people talk about don't do what's hard, don't do what's stressful, I often think of him and I'm like, but he loves what he does. He thrives at what he does. Just to your point, so perfectly put, the high stress doesn't necessarily equate to burnout. I think that's such an intriguing thing to be to dig into and flesh out what that really means. Because how many people are like jumping ship or forced misery because they think I'm stressed, stressed is bad, therefore I must be doing something wrong. Yeah, or I'm eventually going to burn out. I've burnt out twice in my career. One is when I was working a cush job, making great money, working less than 40 hours a week, and I was seeing crazy success, but I was burning out because it was a wrong fit for me. My internal, what was right for me and what I was doing externally were out of alignment. So I was burning out. And it's like, you would have looked at me from the outside looking in, you're like, you're crazy. This is a great job at a great company with great leadership, with great benefits. Why, how are you burning out? How could you possibly burn out? It had nothing to do with the stress of the job. It had everything to do with the alignment of myself in that position. And the other one was when I was building a company that I didn't want to build. Same thing. I was working tons of hours and I was building the wrong thing. So it's happened twice in my career where I now can say the way I don't burn out is when I have true alignment with what's right for me. And what's right for me is building the way that I'm building right now. And I'm probably not going to burn out. I've gone through now, this is like a five-year stretch uh, where I've been running really hard after building this thing. And it would have, it, it will and has burnt out people who've been running alongside of me because mm-hmm. it wasn't the right fit for them, but it's mm-hmm. not burning me out. I wake up energized and excited because I'm building what's right for me. And that's the huge key is it doesn't, the external is not the indicator. The internal is the indicator and the alignment between internal and external is what is going to be the predictor of success of if you're going to keep going or if you're going to keep hitting walls and burning out or sabotaging. I think that speaks to as well. You aren't a prolific social media poster. Like you show up every so often. And when you do, you're dropping these huge knowledge bombs that I think have the tendency to just sit with you, haunt you a little bit until you until you actually sit with whatever it is that you've said and think about it for a while. And so I was looking through some of those knowledge bombs that you've dropped. And this, what one of the things you said is you need to have the courage to be under, to be misunderstood. And I think that speaks a little bit to what what you're talking about with the alignment, the internal and the external alignment. And so do you want to expand, expand that thought there to have as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, what does it look like? to really step into that truth, to have the courage to be misunderstood. Yeah, that's really good. So like building on the point I'm talking about, if I were to be a prolific social media creator, I would probably have more email subscribers, more followers, maybe more leads coming into my business, maybe more people who would want to hire me or do stuff with me or whatever else. But I would for sure, without a doubt, burn out, for sure. And I think it's this idea of, the best and worst thing that ever happened in my career is trying to emulate other people who were successful. And it was the best early on because I would try to reverse engineer what I saw other people doing and try to build that success. It was the worst for me because I kept forgetting about what was right for me. And I kept trying to do what I saw other people doing. So having the courage to be misunderstood is 
I'm good friends with Nathan Barry, who I think a lot of people know. The way Nathan builds his business is right for Nathan and it's not right for me. So Nathan can give me advice and be like, you should do X, Y, Z. And I could be like, yep, I'm going to do it. He's successful. His company is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He's done it the right way. He's a good guy. He's got a great family. I should just copy that. The reality is I shouldn't do that. I should not. I should do, I should have the courage to do it differently. I should have the courage to, to do it differently. I should have the courage to figure out what's right for me. And then I should have the fortitude to do what's right for me, even when people think it's wrong. And I think it's a little, how do you decide to, how do you know when that's the thing to do versus there are times in life where we do just need to get in line and follow the leader, right? There are moments where it's just, we don't know best, even though we think we do. And so how do you, is that just the trial and error? Is that the investing in the six figure newsletter that failed? because you thought it was right, like just being willing to take risks or like, how do you balance that? It's the only way to figure it out is to do it. Like the error of trying and failing is much better than the error of hoping and wishing and not trying. Mm -hmm. So that's it. You've got to try it out. And there's like the idea of being slow to decide and quick to adjust is also really key to me. Right. Mm -hmm. I was really thoughtful about the newsletter project. I was really thoughtful about, hey, I wanna do something in in sports. I really like the NBA, like we've talked about. So I wanna do a newsletter about the NBA, something I really am passionate about. It was ticking all of the boxes, right? But the box that it didn't tick that I've now learned from is that it was separate from the through line of everything else, right? There's no creator associated with it. I was trying to build something from the ground up and it just didn't work. So my career then it's like clarifying every moment. And so failure or hitting a wall or stalling or sabotaging to me, if we can lose the judgment of good or bad with it a little bit, and all we can look at it is data about growth and data about progression, that's really huge and key, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I went and worked for Nathan for a little bit over a year at ConvertKit. And at the time it was the right decision. And then it became the wrong decision. And the only way that I could learn was like being willing to be ruthless in my ability to see feedback in my own life. It was the ability to ask the people around me how they viewed my life and having this like culture of feedback in my life where I could say, this isn't working anymore. It was the right decision. Now I have learned that it's no longer the right decision. I'm going to progress and grow by taking this move or making this move. So to me, it's like lots of trial and error, especially early on. And early on is not an age indicative. It's just early on in whatever you're doing. I don't have to do the same trial and error today because when something crumbs across my desk, I can be like, nope, I've been there before and that's not right. And it took multiple failures for me to learn that. It took stressful days, sleepless nights, tears, and money lost and money gained. And all of that is just input. It's something I decided a few years ago is to remove the emotion about what I'm viewing and how I'm viewing my life a little Mm -hmm. bit. I want to be able to, I don't want to be a robot, but I want to be able to objectively look at myself. So I can identify that I'm feeling an emotion and then I can view myself in that emotion and see the feedback, right? Right. So 
that happens to a lot of people. I could have been really emotional about this newsletter project. Like, this is my dream. I really want to do this. But there came a time where I need to look and be like, this is not going to work. And I've got to walk away. And it's better to cut bait now and take the loss on the balance sheet and take the win and understanding what I should be doing and move on. And I had to remove myself at least for a period of time emotionally to be able to view myself, to be able to give myself the feedback that would allow me to grow. And mm-hmm. so growth is the goal, full stop. And business to me is probably the third greatest way that you can develop personally and grow personally. First is like your close intimate relationships. Second is if you become a parent someday. And mm-hmm. third to me is business. So to me, I want to use business as a way to grow and growth doesn't mean bigger revenue to your point earlier. Growth doesn't mean more profit or more dollars. It just means growth. Like I want to grow. And so I have to have the ability to accept feedback. I have to be willing to push myself into feedback and I have to view everything that's happening in my life, good or bad as a data point or a feedback point. Let's say, am I growing? Am I stalling or am I sabotaging? And I think it's really key to be able to do that. And that's what's worked for me is to view this as a game a little bit. Like I want to keep personally growing. So whether the balance sheet is growing or whether the revenue is growing doesn't matter as much as it is, am I personally developing and growing along the way? Yeah, I think that posture and mindset is probably what allows you to step into situations with such a feeling or an aura of wisdom because it is that willingness to take risk, willingness to fail without allowing it to just sabotage you and for you to pack up your bag and quit. Like it's just part of the game. And that is where the wisdom comes from. Whereas if we are risk averse, failure adverse, we can gain all the knowledge that we want and spit that out, but it doesn't carry the same power that somebody's words carries if they've actually gone through it. You, somebody like you who has tried multiple things, some that have worked tremendously, others that haven't. So you're coming at it, speaking into my life or others with that, with that true wisdom, which feels like a rarity these days. Yeah. And wisdom to me is like a transcendent concept, right? So wisdom exists outside of myself and my ego wants to tell me that I'm becoming wise or I'm becoming smarter or whatever else. To me, it's like when I can put that aside and just say, I want to learn from people who've gone before me. I want to learn from people who are beside me. I want to learn from people who are behind me is really key. So I had a professor once tell me, and this stuck with me and haunted me forever. He said, the day that you meet somebody that you can learn nothing from is the day that person just proved that you're an idiot. And (laughs) it was a harsh way of saying it, but it hit me. I view everything as a teacher. I view everyone as a teacher, even the way that we're doing this interview today and how you're showing up. I'm learning from you right now. And so having the willingness to everything be a point of growth and learning Mm -hmm. is a worldview that will actually make your life so much happier, first of all, but also will put you in a position of the ability to grow with everything that you face, good or bad, planned or unplanned, expected or not, happy or sad. All of it is a teacher, right? Every part of it in business and life and relationships, all of it is a teacher, if you so choose to view it that way. And that kind of worldview has changed my life completely Mm -hmm. is everything that's happening today is a way for me to grow and be better if I so choose for it to be. And that to me is everything, right? So the wisdom is not actually me. 
It's like, I just have a worldview that it's all around me all of the time. And all I have to do is maybe change my opinion about it and look at it in a different way. And now all of a sudden, like my interview with Lindsay is now teaching me something. My, like the way that I engage with my inbox, as soon as I'm done, I have something to learn. And if we're constantly viewing life that way, it just sets you up for building something and being something bigger than yourself. Absolutely. One of my core values is to lead with grace. And so I think about that often when you are in the midst of a really tough situation or you have a client that's not being the easiest to please or whatever. And I think that concept of treating everything like a teacher definitely I know allows me to show up more more often with that value of grace. It's easier to intersect with somebody who doesn't see the world just like you if you're looking at them as a teacher rather than an adversary. Yep. Yeah. One of the other things that you said that made me perk up is you said, I wish we could have more normalized conversations about money. And we've talked about that some, but you want to dig into to that a little bit? Yeah. I think money's such a funny thing. People use it as a score card. And I think it is one way to keep score, but I don't know that's the best way to keep score. But as a kid born in a trailer house in rural Michigan, I want to know things I don't know. And it's such a taboo topic. I've made friends and lost friends because of how money is talked about and money becomes a really stressful thing. So I I want to demystify conversations around money because I'm just curious to learn and I want to learn more. I want to view money differently. I want to understand what it actually is. I want to understand what it's actually not. And I just want to have more conversations around it with people because it's such a, I'm an Enneagram eight. So I'm really into personal, like understanding personality profiles. So I want to challenge the norms culturally. I want to like challenge taboos. Talking about money is a really taboo thing. And I just wish that we just didn't have to do it because there's so much emotion attached to money, whether you have a lot of it or a little of it. There's so much ego attached to money. Like it makes me somebody who I am or am not. None of that's actually true. And I just, I want to understand the concept of it more. I want to have conversations around it. I think we would all benefit with more transparency here. Part of the reason I love companies like ConvertKit that are transparent with it and people who talk about it is it's really cool. And I think I wrote that that post after I started reading Nathan Berry's money newsletter, where he actually shares how much money he makes and how he invests it. And it's, this is awesome. I want to have more friends who are sharing exactly what they're doing. I have another friend, Matt Paulson, who also shares quite a bit about money and and how he uses it and how he engages in life. That to me is so compelling. And so I'm so drawn to it is I think that the game is played wrong when it comes to money sometimes. And I just wish that we could have conversations to change that because there's 18 year old versions of me that want to get into business that are scared because of their maybe feelings or emotions or lack of knowledge around money. And I just want to break down those barriers for myself and and for other people like, like me. Yeah, for sure. My dad grew up like you, just definitely in poverty, just definitely a TV movie life that would make anybody who watched it cry. It was a very hard life. So he's a very self-made man. So I watched him as a kid growing up, he owned his own business, but it was a hard road for him, but it was very much a defining feature for him that he was able to crawl out of where he had come from and build the life that he built for himself and his kids. He, yeah. he broke the system 
he broke free of that. And so it was very defining and that he was able to be successful, very defining and then very, very prideful for him that his daughters grew up to be able to be successful and never have to worry about putting food on their own table. He would always like, how much are you making? It was always centered around that. And it made me realize at one point that while I appreciate very much about my dad has infiltrated my own spirit as far as how I judge, am I being successful or not? And so it has been an active work for myself. Like, do you really want to define your success level based on the income that you're bringing home? Because if you do, this is what it means for you. And this is where you have to go. And so it's that always that struggle and that internal conversation so that I can anchor myself in where it is that I really need to be back to that internal and external alignment that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. There's a, a concept, live by the sword, die by the sword. And it's true with money. If I put my worth based on how much money I make, then my worth can be dashed if I stop making money. And so right. it's so much bigger than that, right? Like money is, or sorry, who we are is so much bigger than how much money do I make? How many possessions do I have? There's just so many things that kind of make us up as a person that have nothing to do with kind of those external things. I love when we can have more conversations around it because we can start to, to demystify what something that feels mystical or mm-hmm. we're unsure about. What really happened to me is I started meeting friends who made millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And I realized they had all the same problems that I did. Exactly. Like, they still have the same problems. Their relationships are not better or worse than mine. Mm-hmm. They're stress levels were not better or worse than mine. They had the same exact problems. And then I met people who were poorer than me and they had the same problems too. And it just was really eye-opening to me. When I was in my mid twenties, I moved to Palm Beach, Florida, and there is more money in Palm Beach, Florida. I think at the time it was like eight or 9% of the entire wealth of the nation in that one county. And I just realized like, there's a lot of money in the world. And it doesn't necessarily make you happier and it doesn't necessarily make you more sad. It's like, Mm -hmm. it is, it is irrelevant to how quote successful or good your life is. There are so many other factors to it. So the idea of live by the sword, die by the sword is the same. It's true of everything. If I build my worth around money, then my worth is going to be dashed when money doesn't happen. If I build my worth based on the success of my company, then when my company hits a hard spot, I'm going to have an identity crisis. And so over time, being able to build your identity in things external from money or possessions or your house or whatever else, and having it built in multiple different things means that at any one point, if one of those things fails, like you're not in this kind of crazy identity crisis mode. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big portion of my work is that identity finding piece, helping business owners really understand who am I and how does that affect what I'm building, what I want to build. And that is the resounding theme that regardless of if somebody's 30 or 60, very few of us actually take the time to really understand who we are. Like we just take for granted, we carry this flesh and bone with us everywhere we go. So surely we know who we are, but that's just not true, especially in the noisy world where we're always distracted. It's becoming even harder to understand some of those basic principles of who am I? What do I believe? What really is this worldview that I'm using 
to engage in the world around me. And when we do have that understanding, it is harder to be shaken to our core when a business fails, when we take a risk and it doesn't pan out the way we want, because we know to your point, that's, that doesn't alter our identity. It might help us grow, but it's not, it, it doesn't alter who we are to our core. Yeah. It's reading Atomic Habits. The idea of identity is a huge part of establishing habits that change your life. So they talk a lot about, I am the kind of person who works out is a mindset that helps you start working out. And there's a lot to it. And we can like, people get really weird and they start talking about manifestation and like doing mantras and there is some validity to that kind of thinking, but it's also, it is like when you really truly know who you are and it takes a lot of finding out who you aren't to get to that point. It's easy when you wake up in the morning and this, I'm feeling stressed. Why am I feeling stressed? Why does this feel off to me? It's because I'm doing something that's outside of my character. I'm doing something that's outside of who I am. And that's what sets you up for what we talked about, those burnouts or hitting those stall walls or starting to sabotage. But when you really, truly know who you are, and again, it takes a lot of time, a lot of trial and error. It takes a lot of tearful days. It takes a lot of rejoiceful days. It takes a lot to just figure it out. But I feel like I know who I am today in a way that when my newsletter business failed, I was sad. That's a normal response to that. But I also wasn't shaken to my core. I just kept going. And there have been times where I haven't shaken to my core. And that was a part of figuring out who I am. It's like all of the stuff that's shaken gets shaken off. It's not me. And I just learned who I am more and more over time. Daryl, this has been great. Thanks for joining us. This has been a real treat. And so is there, I know you're not on social very often, but where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah. Where should they go? What should Just that send me an email, Daryl at MountHaley.com. Okay. I'd be happy to chat with anybody. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Daryl. Yeah, thank you. As founder and CEO at Storyhouse 15, my mission is to help small business owners, coaches, and consultants transform their worlds with story. So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. And If you feel like you've outgrown your old story and you're ready to pivot and grow, be sure to stop by and say hello at storyhouse15.com.